Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm Tyler Smith. I'm David Bass. And thank you for listening, David. Yes. How you doing? Well, how was your Thanksgiving? I'm sure it was great. Yeah. Um, I'm going to tell you how I'm doing. Uh, I, have, <laughs> I don't like this. Already. Well, no, you know, we talk, we have talked less so you more so with other guests. We talk about our celebrity crushes sometimes. Okay. And I have one that I didn't quite realize. Oh, all right. Two things have happened. This is one, exciting. One, I've been catching up because it's easy to do while I'm doing work on the website at home. Uh, watching a bunch of comedians and cars getting coffee episodes that I hadn't watched. Okay. And now I've always been a fan as an actor of Sarah Jessica Parker. Okay. Actually seeing her in person with her friend Jerry on that show. She's adorable. Sure. I think I kind of have a little thing for Sarah Jessica Parker. Okay. And then as if that weren't enough today, there was an interview with her on the AV club. Oh, all right. A random roles interview, which I love reading those mm. I'm obsessed with them. Um, and I get mad when entertainment weekly rips off the format, um, <laughs> which they do all the time, but she gave an answer. Cause there is a certain question that, that actors get asked all the time mm-hmm. that I hate because it's such a bullshit question. Okay. And the question is in this particular case, what drew you to flight of the navigator? And I hate when, when actors get asked what drew you to a certain role and Sarah Jessica Parker, I'm going to read especially an early role. Yeah. I she mean, said, what drew me to flight of the, are you seriously asking me what drew me to flight of the navigator? It was a part. Like literally I just got a part. I went and did it. That's what I did for most of my career. Nothing drew me to it. I can't, it was a job. That's exactly a paycheck. That's exactly what drew me to it. I can't even tell you what it was about or who I played. You know, all you want is a job. You're auditioning. You want to have as much experience as possible. You know, it was great. That is my, one of my favorite answers that any actor has ever given to a question. And so my crush, on Sarah Jessica Parker continues. Yeah, it's, uh, I have to assume that there is a temptation in that moment to seem like, oh, well, you know, I just, I really liked the idea of this, you know, to kind of bullshit your way through it yeah. so that you seem like a serious actor, even at such a young age. Uh, and so for her to just be like, man, I don't have the energy <laughs> yeah, yeah. to give you what you seem to be looking for here. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of nice. Yeah. Uh, I do. I, I have celebrity crushes. It feels a little bit skeevy to talk about it. I don't, I don't know, know, but maybe but, not. Yeah. I don't know. There's, we all, we all ship and stand certain things. Now this is just part of the fandom culture. What's the, what's the stand one? We've talked about stand. It just means fan. Oh, but okay. It's cause fan already came from fanatic, but now right. fan is too soft. Mm-hmm. So now people say they're a Stan like the character Stan from the Eminem song, Stan. Oh <laughs> yes. Who's an obsessive psychotic fan. Okay. And now, so that's, that's become the new so, normal thing. So fan is too soft. So the alternative is to go as hard as possible to the point where you don't, you can't get yeah. any more, well, until I get a couple of years to be like, oh man, I am such a Chapman for, uh, <laughs> that's, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, um, 
but uh all right okay uh anyway so yeah that's uh i love sarah jessica parker uh who's this episode brought to you by uh this episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent international and classic films every day Mubi's curators introduce a new title and you have 30 days to watch it that means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy all for only 8.99 a month plus when you use their mobile apps you can download films to watch offline okay quick note um so every week, uh, I we they email us and say, "Hey, we'd like you to talk about sure. these movies specifically." Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Uh, sometimes I just go to the website, see what's there, and see if there's anything there that I've seen and would like to talk about, or something that just strikes my fancy. And so, so every week I am seeing what is available there, and sadly, I don't have a great deal of time right now to watch really anything. Um, Hopefully that's going to change in the near future because there are always movies that are interesting to me. But what I'm really struck by um, is, is that, and obviously movie is not the only streaming service that could allow this revelation, but that's the one I look at the most. There are just so many movies and so many filmmakers that are respected and and have put out work that people really love both audiences and filmmakers and critics uh that i that are not even on my radar at all and Mm -hmm. uh you know obviously my first response to that is a deep shame uh but then i get past that and realize like i'm i'm just i'm one person you can't hear of everything um and and it just it's something that on one hand I could choose to be bummed that I haven't seen everything or I could choose to be invigorated by the fact that there is just so much out there. And so that is something that it's one of the things that I like about Mubi. It's why I'm glad they're our sponsor is because they embrace that idea. Um, and they don't just give you the standard classics that you know about. Like, like there are, I mean, they could go like they could go with, uh, they could go with a movie by Orson Welles and they could go with F for fake mm-hmm. or the trial. They did do the trial or they could go with something like that. And it's just like, okay, well having Orson Welles, like he's already well known amongst <clears throat> film fans, but then there are different tiers to his work and you can, and you can say like, I'm a big Orson Welles fan. I've seen the immortal story. I've seen like all of these things. Um, And you probably have a fair amount of credibility. But what I like about movies, they go even deeper and they go with filmmakers that only a handful of people I I know have heard of. And then, but like these filmmakers have been making stuff for years. And so like, they're not interested in, in being in kind of catering and pandering to, I'd say the vanity of film fans and say like, Oh yes, you know, this film by Orson Welles. You don't, you know it already. Right. Obviously. Uh, instead I think they're genuinely interested in introducing you to new films by filmmakers. You already know, or new filmmakers completely from a country that in some, that you don't even associate with filmmaking in some cases. And so I don't know. It was just, it was uh, something that was on my mind. Yeah. They got, good taste and they're dedicated and that's great. Yeah. And they're also not 
entirely like highfalutin all the time. Right now, you can watch the howling. Yeah, you sure Dante's can. the howling. Absolutely uh, on movie. Um, yeah, and because I think in the end they just really like craftsmanship. And yes, mm-hmm. it came out around Halloween, so it makes sense that they would do right. that. Sure, but uh, but I think they just respond craftsmanship to craftsmanship, even if it's more mainstream or incredibly obscure. But anyway, so okay. All that is to say there is a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com, that's M-U-B-I dot com slash Battleship to redeem now, or click on the Mubi ad at BattleshipPretension.com. This episode is also brought to you by the Dice Enthusiast Presents Podcast, a new series based around a board game that four roommates played for the entirety of 2017. During that year, they are faced with problems like drug dealers moving in with them, mental breakdowns, infidelity, and a suicide attempt. Uh, it is a surprisingly personal podcast that uh, they have described as being heavily inspired by the works of Kurt Vonnegut. I don't know how you do that uh, in podcast form, but apparently they found a way. So if you're interested, go to Dice Enthusiast or click on the ad at battleshippretension.com to listen. And how this, are you going to listen? That's what well, I want to know. Well, real quick, this podcast, I love every description yeah. makes it sound more and more interesting, but I would love it. I'm sure it's not this, but I would love it if this was all just a joke, like a joke. Oh yeah. And you actually download the thing. It's just like a half an hour of them, like making fart noises with their mouths <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> well, I could, you know, I could send them an email and say, Hey, David wants this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. No, I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. And Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Do you know, I want to ask you a question, Tyler. Okay. Um, what do you listen to while you write? Oh boy. Cause this uh, is, I, you know, all, I... of all the stuff that I talk about, mm-hmm. listen, I listen to music on my tweaked audio.com earbuds all the time. But one of my favorite things that I use them for is to listen to music when I, when I write. And I like you, I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit what I listen to. Okay. All right. That's helpful to know. <laughs> I'll bet. Mine is more embarrassing. So what do you got? What do you got for me? I like, there are a number of YouTube videos that are three to 10 hours of classical music with the sounds of rain and or fireplaces or both. And I find those incredibly soothing for writing. It does seem embarrassing, but the fact that they exist mean that means that people obviously want them. Right. So if it's you know, 10 hours of Chopin and raindrops on a window pane, bring it on. Okay. Uh, my answer is shockingly similar. Okay. Um, you get that classical music out of there. I'll tell you that right now. Okay. Um, there is a YouTube channel called the Guild of Ambiance, and okay. it is the the videos vary from one hour to three or four hours. And what's really interesting is that um, this person essentially builds in a, in his computer builds these idyllic scenes sometimes it's in, it's like in the forest or it's in like an old timey library with a crackling fireplace uh-huh. and that sort of thing but it is it's animated but it looks very realistic and the fact that he just builds this stuff from scratch and it so it's like it's beautiful to look at but also the the soundscape is very thorough to the point that like when i'm done and then i 
pause it, it's like, oh, like the, the silence <laughs> okay. is deafening. And you realize just how thoroughly this guy does it. And there are a number of videos like this. Uh, but this guy is my is my favorite. So listeners, hey, that's a free plug for the Guild of Ambiance. Uh, yes, and these we both do this, but while using our tweakedaudio.com earbuds, which only adds to the soothing, uh, enveloping experience. And these earbuds are available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code Pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price. So go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code Pretension. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Tyler? Yes. Let's get into it, shall we? Okay. Um, I don't want to give too much away about what we're going to talk about today. But listeners, look down okay. yeah. at whatever you listen to Got it. the thing on. Listen to the podcast on, be it on you know, your mobile device, your MP3 player, like like a Zoom type of deal. Um, whatever something. device has Spotify, uh, that's for Spotify sure. Spotify could be a thing that you're listening to. And look at the number. Every episode... Every episode of Battleship Pretension that's not a movie journal mm-hmm. has a number. You'll notice that number ends in a zero. And yet, and yet, mm-hmm. is not evenly divisible by 50. Right? Okay, yes. I'm with you. That means it's a profile. That's right. And uh, in keeping up what I guess is our new tradition of profiles, this is just what we do now. We are profiling someone who uh, has passed away recently. Mm-hmm. And so we are going to profile... Burt Reynolds, the late Burt Reynolds. At this point, um, it's not even that recently, actually. It was, it was early September. September. Yeah. 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 Um, that's recent. Yeah. Um, and I, Mia Culpa, I, there are a number of movies I didn't get to that I had meant to this week. Um, like, I, I haven't seen White Lightning or Gator. I don't mm-hmm. think Gator's actually supposed to be that great, but yeah. I didn't see White Lightning. I also, I swear I'm not trolling listeners. I didn't see Cannonball Run. It honestly wasn't even that high on my priorities list. I feel like Cannonball Run is a movie that I I think if you are a certain age or if you saw it at a certain age, people seem to care about it. But it doesn't actually come up as a a great movie very often. I've heard it as the shitty, it's a mad, 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 mad world. Right, which when Rat Race exists is saying something. (laughs) Um, Rat Race is charming. uh, Yeah. But I feel like Cannonball Run, my fear... I haven't watched it. I'm not judging the movie. Um, although I guess I kind of did. My fear is it's going to be something like Kate, like Caddyshack. Mm-hmm. Cause Caddyshack has moments. Yes. Um, most of them for me personally come from Roddy Dangerfield. Sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's the worst hat I ever saw. I bet when you go bought that hat, you got a bowl of soup. No, it looks good on you though. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was uh, okay. Quick side note. Okay. Um, I was watching, having never actually seen the film, a while ago I stumbled on just a bunch of clips from Back to School. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that happened. Uh, but I do remember hearing some of these from like Mike Schmidt years ago on Never Not Funny. Uh-huh. And But in listening to it, it's like, okay, now I get the context. Again, having not seen the f- entire film. Um, 
but there's one where so this guy Rodney Dangerfield plays like a super rich guy yeah uh, and I think he's going back to school with his son uh, right and so his son is like gonna buy like used textbooks and he goes what are you talking about and he looks and he says like you know the and the son's like well you know there are there are hylations here and that can be helpful he's like you don't know who this person was could have been a maniac <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> that a maniac. <laughs> Their mania manifests itself in highlighting the wrong parts yeah. of the book is to me hilarious. Uh, yeah, I used to watch a lot of usually taped off of TV, mm-hmm. Roddy Dangerfield movies. Specifically, Back to School, I watched a ton as a kid, and also Easy Money with uh, Joe Pesci. Do you remember oh, that? I didn't see it. Um, and that was where I first learned the term Messerschmitt as a kind as a, a German kind of airplanes yeah. because he and he's like at the kitchen table trying to put together a model airplane, like, and doing a very poor job of it, mm-hmm. like getting glue everywhere or whatever. And then Joe Pesci's like busting. He's like, Hey, we got to go. We got to go do this thing. Get some easy money or whatever, you know? And he's like, all right. And he like knocks the thing over on the way out of the door. He says to his wife, honey, there's a, there's a mesh, honey, there's a mesh in the kitchen. Would you clean it up? Uh, and I always thought that was very funny as a kid. Um, uh, because it was on network TV and he almost said shit. Yeah. I think that was probably why I thought it was funny. Uh, anyway, so anyway, all of this is why I didn't watch cannibal run because I don't think Rodney Dangerfield is in that movie. <laughs> Could be. He could be. I yeah. wouldn't know. Uh, but yeah, Mia Copa, I didn't watch Cannibal Run, which means for me, we get to start with, uh, it feels it's going to be anticlimactic to start with my favorite Burt Reynolds movie, mm-hmm. but 1972's Deliverance is which my I, favorite Burt Reynolds movie. Which I still have not seen, uh, even after all these years and people saying that I would love it. Uh, and you saw, I feel like you saw it somewhat recently. For the first time. No, not for the first time. Okay. I, I, right. yeah, I'd seen it. You'd rewatched it. I recently. rewatched it. Okay. By somewhat recently, I mean within the past 10 years. That sounds right to me. Um, but yeah, I think I, I watched it. Um, it was actually my wife's idea, which was weird because it's not the kind of movie she would normally like, but I feel like it's one of those movies that's so in the culture mm-hmm. that I feel like my wife was like, is this actually a good movie? And I was like, yes, it's really good. Yeah. Um, because I put it in the category with movies like, Rocky and Saturday Night Fever and Planet of the Apes that the reputation is about the things that are kind of exaggerated or have been parodied so many times and just easily easy to translate into larger pop culture like with Rocky's like oh he's punching punching meat and running upstairs right yeah and with this one's like oh banjos yeah banjos or squeal like a pig pig. exactly those are the things like I haven't seen the movie and I know those yeah you know uh and um, what you really don't, uh, uh, what you don't get is the deliverance is a, uh, first off, it's a kind of horror movie. Um, it's also a horror movie that speaks directly to me as someone who prefers big cities and is weirdly, I'm very wary of people who live in rural areas because I feel like, what are you trying to hide? Like, I feel like you could get away with a lot of shit out here. There's a lot of nothingness Look, out here. You, if you let, if you killed me and left my body somewhere, you probably get away with it. Look, that's how clearly, I feel about rural America. <laughs> anybody who lives in rural uh, rural areas clearly witnessed a crime <laughs> or has committed a crime yeah. and is just trying to get away from it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Out of the past style. Exactly. Um, uh, and so deliverance definitely speaks to that because it's about a group of city folk, mm-hmm. like four 
you know, uh, city slicker men going for a weekend, uh, canoeing and hunting trip. Mm -hmm. And what's funny is that this is, it's funny that, that this, but Reynolds performance is so relatively early in his career because it actually, if you watch it after you've seen a lot of his other seventies and eighties stuff, it feels like a, it feels like a specific critique in a way Hmm. because Burt Reynolds is the character who is the most like, he's the perfect weekend warrior type in that he's got all the gear. He works out. He knows all the lingo. He feels like he knows what to do, but this is a guy who also works behind a desk Monday through Friday. Mm -hmm. And so when things start to go wrong, he's the one who's most equipped to handle it, but also the, the situation and the people that are attacking them are really putting to the test the limits of, of, of his, uh, uh, weekend warrior Ness. Yeah. Um, and then you've got, you know, some like Ned Betty's playing just kind of a good guy. Yeah. Um, the rest of them are actually just kind of good guys, um, to be honest, but not, but also the movie isn't letting them off the hook for the fact that they are kind of, trespassers in a way here they're mm-hmm. kind of like uh this this word is usually used in another way but in a way they're kind of exoticizing you yeah. know it's or they're being condescending yeah but, in in barton fink terms they're just a tourist with a typewriter uh-huh. whereas everybody else actually lives there yes except here yeah they're a tourist with a canoe and a bow of air, yeah. bow and arrow and ronnie cox has his banjo of course mm-hmm. um and uh uh, and so, yeah, I do think it's, it's a terrific performance in Burt Reynolds and it is weird to me, even knowing that it's pre smoking the bandit and pre, mm-hmm. uh, you know, cannibal run those sorts of things. Um, knowing that he would become in some ways kind of a caricature of this swaggering, like yeah. macho you know, which is a, the exact thing that this movie is intentionally undercutting and meaning to take the legs out from under. Yeah. Uh, it's too bad you haven't seen it. Cause I feel like I could do a whole episode just talking about how much I love deliverance. Oh, and but it is, if you think, if you think you've heard the doing banjos and squeal like a pig. And if you think this is a movie to get together with your friends and have a laugh, it's not deliverance is a fucking heavy yeah. movie. It's just, it's a tough sit. It's John Borman, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he tends to take things that would seem to be fun <laughs> and then make them heavy as hell. Excalibur is a much darker movie than you would ever expect. And also another one that blew me away when I finally saw it, Excalibur, is yeah. I always threaten to make the, my own top 100 list because I know you have your actual top 100 of all time. Yeah. I feel like Excalibur would rank in my top 100 movies. That's exciting. Time. Yeah. Um, yeah, so before we move on, I did want to stop for a moment and bring something up about Burt Reynolds. So I don't remember I had, I used to have this book that would like go year by year and list the top everything, uh, (laughs) you know, like the number one song that year, the number one movie and that kind of thing. What did you were born? 81? 82. You, you, okay. So we have the, both have the same number one song of the year. Which is uh, Centerfold by the Jay Giles Band, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I guess so. The Jay Giles, that's a real. I really don't like that song. Yeah. But Jay Giles Band has others. So, like Freeze Frame is a good song. I think it's not. And Centerfold is catchy. It's very catchy, but I, um, um, I think there's some sort of uh, uh, 
something condescending and paternalistic about the song that uh, turns me off. Yeah, something I can't quite put my finger on. No, the entire premise of the song is yeah. condescending and paternalistic and misogynistic. Um, but uh, anyway, so one thing that it, uh, what are you looking at? I I a little pin. Yeah, I have a, is it a member of the Red Alert Club. No, I, I just I uh, bought this hat in Japan, and okay. this pin was a part of it. And okay, I don't so. think you can actually take it out. Oh, I see. It's so, okay. Uh, anyway, so I thought it was uh, the Red Alert's hat. I mean, I guess it could on be. your hat. No, see, he's, it's literally a hat on a hat, as they say. That's what we like to do here. <laughs> uh, Riddler wears bowler hats. Okay, okay. And this is clearly a fedora on that pin. Yeah, but anyway, right. that's neither here nor there. Um, so. In this book, it also showed like the top, I don't know if it was top grossing or just popularity, whatever it was, the top male and female movie star year by year. And multiple years in a row in the 1970s, Burt Reynolds was number one. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily, and again, I don't think it, that necessarily translated out to gross you know, like top grossing, like he wasn't in jaws. He wasn't in the exorcist. He wasn't in Rocky. Right. But so maybe it was just profile. Maybe it was just who is the most movie star. (laughs) Um, and so, so I remember that. And then also, uh, watching old episodes of Siskel and Ebert, uh, in the 1970s and eighties, uh, especially in the eighties, uh, Burt Reynolds would often show up in films, uh, that they would cite as the worst of the year. (laughs) But one thing that they would often say is how disappointed they were that he was such a, they kept saying he's such a big star and he used to be so reliable in the 1970s. And now he just seems to be taking a paycheck or phoning it in or whatever it is. And it's just what's the, what I wanted to mention is that, he was a huge movie star for a long time. And I, th- but I think that he's one of these people and it does happen every once in a while for directors, actors, whatever musicians. He's one of these people that for people our age and younger and for film fans, I think he will be reduced mm-hmm. to boogie nights okay. and deliverance. Like the fact and like, smoking the band, we'll smoking get to smoking the band. But, but the idea, like that, he has he's he has a huge filmography, but that he his whole career and he directed movies as well. Yeah, we'll get to that. that. He could can be boiled down to two, maybe three of these movies from a while ago, and it's just interesting that he's somebody that uh, I don't think the the bigness of his stardom is something that you and I are fully aware of as much as older people are like him doing that, him doing that photo shoot, Uh you know, like that was a huge deal at the time because it's not merely, Oh, a a movie star. It's fucking Burt Reynolds who is so lusted after by women, uh, doing this, this photo shoot. And so I feel like it's just interesting. We, we so seldom, profile stars like full on like Mm -hmm. big movie stars. And I think what's interesting here is that for you and I, he was, even if we intellectually objectively understand that he's a big movie star, he's never going to feel for us the way he did for people that were adults in the seventies. Yeah. I mean, I think when boogie nights came out and I was in 
ninth or 10th grade. I can't remember exactly when that was. Mm. I did get a sense of like, Oh, this, he must've been huge at some point because of what the yeah. narrative was about his big comeback. Yeah. But basically it feels like uh, I would also say, uh-huh. incidentally, I just had this thought for people our age, Burt Reynolds is probably infinitely more known as a Norm Macdonald impression. <laughs> like, I'm not even joking. Like, yeah. I think, you know, well, yeah, we'll get actually, okay. I don't want to speak ill of the dead. We're doing this as a right. tr- sort of tribute to him, but I do think he's kind of like, he has a lot of the same trajectory as Matthew McConaughey, except sure. Matthew McConaughey had his reconnaissance. Mm-hmm. And when Burt Reynolds has Burt Reynolds had, his chance at one with Boogie Nights, he kind of intentionally didn't chase it. He didn't yeah. like working with Paul Thomas Anderson. I don't think he really liked the movie, which I guess Mark Wahlberg doesn't either. I guess people yeah. just don't like that. People who worked on the movie don't like it. And there was a great joke, oh, yeah. an SNL joke. When I was it inside the actor studio, or someone asked him like it was some sort of interview, it was Celebrity Jeopardy, or I think it was inside the actor studio. And now. someone asked him like, so you've you're back. You've had this comeback and this you've been nominated for nom- yeah, this prestigious award. movie nominated for Academy Award. What's next for Burt Reynolds? Uh, car picture with Tom oh. Delos. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that it's a joke, but that is kind of, it does yeah. kind of seem like he was more comfortable doing that. Yeah. Um, and it's a shame because when you watch something like deliverance, you really see, uh, how much, um, how much depth and intelligence mm-hmm. and potential he really had. Um, I'm my next for me is the longest yard. I don't know what's next for you. Oh, uh, it's Smokey in the Bandit. Okay, so um, the longest yard is a movie that I don't love, but I really respect because it's a. On the one hand, it's kind of a big dumb comedy, mm-hmm. but it also is a studio comedy that came out in the years between. Uh, between Easy Rider and Jaws, when they yeah. kind of lost control and. The longest yard. What, what is what is good about it when it works is that it f- it's a it's a comedy that actually feels kind of dangerous mm. in a way. It it doesn't feel like it pulls its punches. You know, like I never saw the Adam Sandler version, which apparently Burt Reynolds has a cameo in or something. Yeah. Uh, did you see it? No. Okay. Um, but this is. Uh, you know, the premise of the movie is it's prisoners versus guards in a football game. Yeah, and the prisoners are really looking at this in many cases less as a chance to win against the guards and more as a chance to just get out there and fuck up some guards yeah and you're the movie is on their side and so it is kind of a it's kind of a gleefully mean-spirited movie but in a way that doesn't feel as immature as something like mash, which I know a lot of people like mash. I've never liked it. I've never responded to it. Um, but mash also, I think of mash because mash also has an extent a very long football sequence. Um, you know, the movie mm. mash, uh, you're acting like you don't know. No, I <laughs> do. I do know. Sorry. I was thinking of, of other things, but yes. And that's like sequence. not Burt Reynolds stuff. Just your hat. Just thinking about my hat, you know, like, I mean, that's the thing is my, my head's in it. So I feel like mm-hmm. I should be really paying attention to it a lot. Um, all right. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> um, I would, rec- I, I think, uh, basically my, uh, the, 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 what's what I'm looking for? The, what I'm coming to here, the conclusion that I'm coming to mm-hmm. is that the longest yard is better than mash. <laughs> All right. Um, I don't think it's a great movie. I think it's a little, uh, it's a little sloppy and, uh, and uneven. Um, 
but uh, it has a part where uh, one of the prisoners comes off the field after having uh, it's also directed by Robert Aldrich by the way yeah uh, comes off the field after having collided with one of the guards and is like grinning ear to ear and going I think I broke his fucking neck and then later when the guy's getting carted off he's like I did I did break his fucking neck yeah. <laughs> it's a big funny <laughs> yeah. uh, moment uh, well and that's uh, I, I'm commenting on a movie I haven't seen but like you know when you think of the slobs versus snobs kind of thing now this isn't exactly that but it's like the, the motley crew of these prisoners against the people that are in power, mm-hmm. except here is like, oh, yes, we want to, if we can, kill them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I see what you mean as far as like it's a dangerous comedy, one that definitely feels 70s. Yeah. And I'm I again haven't seen the Adam Sandler one. I feel confident saying there's no way it feels like that. Yeah, probably. Not. <laughs> um uh, one that was, yeah, I just, I got so busy between, you know, we decided to do this, you know, shortly, when he, shortly after he died. Yeah. And I think that was either while I was at TIFF or like I went to TIFF, I went out of town a couple of times, I got sick and then, uh, I went out of town for a long time and I just, I had this list of like movies. I want to see this before we do this thing in two and a half months and the two and a half months seemed to go by and I just yeah. didn't get to a lot of these movies. So I didn't get, he reteamed with Robert Aldridge for hustle the next year, which is uh, supposed to be pretty good actually with Catherine, mm-hmm. Deneuve, Catherine Deneuve and uh, Ben Johnson um, and Eileen Brennan and Eddie Albert and Ernest Borg- Borgnine. It sounds like a, a cool, good cast. Yeah. It sounds like a great movie. Uh, and it was on my list. Um, and then I can't really mention, I saw silent movie once when I was very young, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Mel Brooks silent yeah. movie. I know he plays himself in it, but I don't really remember much of it. Yeah. The only, really, the only thing that really sticks out to me about silent movie is the fact that the one word spoken in the movie is spoken by Marcel Marceau. Yeah. Um, that's funny, right? Yeah. Um, I've never seen Nickelodeon, which is a Peter Bogdanovich movie. That was a very, Apparently, yeah. a very expensive bomb. Yeah. Uh, because Peter Bogdanovich at that point was coming off the last picture show, right? Mm-hmm. And was um, very well. You know, like, Had he made Paper Moon yet by then? Um, well, Paper what year is last picture? Last picture show is 71. Paper oh, yeah. Moon 73. Yeah, so this is 76 is when he made okay. Nickelodeon. So he might have. And then what year is What's Up Doc? After? I think that's after. Okay. So, yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, I haven't seen Nickelodeon, but talk about. I mean him taking chances doing a Peter Bogdanovich comedy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I learned from, have you, uh, I, we didn't do a movie journal the last week or this week. I don't know if you've watched they'll love me when I'm dead. No. Uh, yeah. Did you watch the other side of the wind by the way? Nope. All right. Well, you'll get to it. Uh, yeah. I haven't watched it either. Um, I should but, say, I, I'll, I'll say this now. So along with teaching and driving for lift and all that, I have been working on a, a thing where I'm, I'm putting together a video series for a streaming service. They've paid me to do this. It requires a lot of editing on my part and a lot of research and recording. And so that is where a lot of my time is going. When it it posts, I will let everybody know. Cool. Uh, But yeah, it's not for Netflix. You're probably not going to get it. But the point is... Is on Viewboo? What was that? Is on Viewboo? Oh, I wish. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. Uh... One thing I learned from the Love Me When I'm Dead is that uh, Burt Reynolds and Peter Radonovich were like friends. They weren't just, hmm. wasn't just in the movie. They were they were friends because there's a um, um, there's a clip of 
like Orson Welles is filling in as a guest host on a talk show. I don't know sure. if it was the tonight show. You would know if he did that sort of thing, but he was a, a fill in yeah. host on some sort of late night talk show. And Burt Reynolds was the guest and they were talking about Nickelodeon and the fact that they're both good friends with Peter yeah. Bogdanovich. It was crazy. Uh, I think he filled in for Dick Cavett regularly. Oh, maybe that makes sense. Okay. Now we're uh, into <coughs> 1977. The one you've seen, uh, the first one you've seen. There we go. Uh, Smoking the Bandit, directed by Hal Needham. Yeah. Uh, damn near killed him. Um, uh, and this is... Admittedly, I, I, it has been a long time since I've seen it. And okay, I, I've seen I it hate, very recently. Yeah, I hate to say it. I remember Jackie Gleason a lot more. I think uh-huh. just because when I saw it, that's what I was watching it for, not for the subtleties of Burt Reynolds' performance. Uh, well, because we're here to say nice things, because I, I think Smoking the Bandit is is fine. It has definitely has its, uh, um, it's good points and it's somewhat lazy tossed together points. Some of which are also its good points by the way. Um, but, uh, in terms of positivity, I think this is a movie that, and I, and I, and maybe I'm just reverse engineering this, this opinion because I know it was a surprise hit mm-hmm. and it was a, an enormous hit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a surprise hit because I don't think, because I think on paper it sounds like nothing. It's like yeah. there's no real character development to it, and it's just cars driving around for an, like an hour and forty minutes. Um, but I think the the thing you really get out of it is that whatever we mean when we use the term movie star, Burt Reynolds and Sally Field in 1977 were it. Mm-hmm. Their their just natural charisma shines through this movie so brightly, even though, like I said, they're the thinnest possible characters. Yeah. But you can just watch them sit in the car and kind of like flirt, even though there's not even that, that much flirting in the dialogue or the dialogue's flirting is very straightforward of him yeah. just like checking out her ass or whatever. Yeah. But you can see their their chemistry is something we've uh, talked about is, uh, yeah. um, sort of a, to go back to what we said, I think on last week's episode, uh, you know, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it, yeah. that's, that's what chemistry is. And I would say the, one of the best examples of knowing when I see it is Burt Reynolds and Sally field in smoking the bandit. You just enjoy spending time with them. Like mm-hmm. you know, regardless of the kind of character they're playing and admittedly, um, and I don't, I, and I don't mean this, as a as a dig most great most of the great movie stars weren't known for their range they were known for their naturalism on screen whether it be Cary Grant or uh Denzel Washington you know um they didn't do a lot of different types they haven't done a lot of different types of roles but when they're on screen you just it's magnetic you can't help but watch them not merely because they're in front of you but because you are paying attention to everything they say, every nuance, uh, because they just, sometimes it's because they're so cool or they're so good looking or whatever it is. Um, but I think in the case of Burt Reynolds, uh, with the films of his that I've seen, there is just a naturalism. He's just really comfortable being on screen, uh, whether it be an action movie or a comedy or a drama, like he just, he feels very much at home in front of the camera. He's a very, un, a very unselfconscious actor. Yeah. Um, and you know, uh, do, here's a question. 
Do we think that Burt Reynolds was funny? Because Smoking the Bandit is funny, mm-hmm. but that's mostly Jackie Gleason. Is Burt Reynolds funny? That's a good question. No. Okay. Because he's done a couple comedies. But here's okay. He was in Everything You Need, Everything You Always Want to Know About Sex, but which I've never seen. Yeah, I've never seen. If I'd seen it, I'd remember the whole title. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was in Nickelodeon. He's in one coming up. We're going to talk, I, mention. I don't think he's. I don't think he's necessarily funny, but I don't necessarily mean he's unfunny either. I think there is a there is a certain lightness to him that he can play up so that he fits into a comedy really well. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess he's. Uh, that's a good point. That he's as, he's both a movie star, but also I think can be a good ensemble player. Sure. Um, because I think he, I, I don't know. His story is so weird, or not weird, but he wasn't like he didn't like have a passion for acting. He had a passion for football. He played yeah. college football. He got injured and took up acting and ended up being one of the biggest movie stars yeah. on, on the planet. Uh, and was also all like always a, uh, is it Florida state or university? Of, uh, I think it's Florida state, uh, is where he went and was a supporter of them for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so maybe, maybe the, his football background gave him like a sort of teamwork type of Maybe, uh, yeah. uh, mentality because he, he was often the star once he became a big star, but he's not, um, is never a selfish actor. Yeah. I mean, even looking ahead a little bit to some of his TV work, like in evening shade, which is a, which was a sitcom that my parents really okay. liked watching. And so I watched a fair amount of it and, you know, it was a sitcom and his character had, one-liners and that sort of sorry i'm jumping ahead never mind we will we'll, okay we can move on. um well let's i did okay i feel bad i didn't watch semi-tough i've also this is making me feel bad on multiple levels i've never seen the end which is a movie that my dad loved okay which is um i don't know if it's the first one that he directed but he directed it and do you know the premise of the end i do not it's a dark comedy in which he plays a terminally ill man who becomes friends with a mental patient by Dom DeLuise who agrees to help him kill himself. And the movie is about this guy's misadventures of repeatedly trying and failing to kill himself. <laughs> so it's like that, uh, that movie short time. I don't know that movie. It's with Dabney Coleman as a guy who is missed uh, a cop who's misdiagnosed as dying. And so he realizes <laughs> double indemnity style that if he dies in the line of duty, his family gets more money. And so he keeps purposely putting himself in harm's way. (laughs) It's not that good of a movie, but it's a good premise. Yeah. And it's Dabney Coleman, you know, yeah, that, uh, star of the eighties. Yeah. I like Dabney Coleman. Yeah. Do you know, um, you know, the Seinfeld fake movie prognosis negative. Yeah. Do you know the story? Like that was a screenplay. Apparently the Larry David wrote, about a guy uh, yes. who got his test results back and they were negative, which meant he wasn't sick, but mm-hmm. he, all he heard is negative and the rest of the movie is him living his life thinking he's dying of a terminal illness, <laughs> even though he was cleared by the doctor and just misunderstood That's fine. that his results were negative. Um, all right. Yeah, um, what, what do we think about the fact that Burt Reynolds, again, a guy who just wanted to play football, uh-huh. started directing? I think it's great. I mean, good for him. It's fascinating. Um, 
I kind of a part of me wonders if he saw his friend Hal Needham do it and was sure. like, I guess this isn't so hard. That um, that there is an effortlessness to him as an actor or as a performer. I wonder if it just let if that's just who he is. Is he just looked at life and said like. Yeah, I could do pretty much anything here. <laughs> yeah, that's probably that's probably true. I could see it. Um, so yeah, we're jumping through a few here that I again I uh, haven't I heard, seen. I heard very good things about Sharky's Machine. Uh, uh, oh, that's the next one on my list oh, actually, because okay. um, that is another one he's he directed. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I yeah, because I watched it because I had also heard very good things about it. I I feel like it. Um, I mean, it's definitely a movie that he directed with both barrels it's it's a it's a it's a full-on uh commitment but it also feels like just kind of a uh dirty hairy wannabe in a lot of ways it's a um it's it's an undercover it's a detective movie about a vice no he's a homicide uh yeah he's a homicide detective and then uh, a civilian gets shot uh, in the line of duty, and so he gets busted down to Vice, which I guess is mm-hmm. like, um, and then uncovers this entire like drug and prostitution ring. Uh, and Sharky's machine are all the guys like his fellow detectives, but also like all the connections he's made working Vice over the years, mm-hmm. uh, counterfeiters and stuff like that. That are like so it's it's again, it's kind of an ensemble, but it's clearly like there's a lead and there's a whole group of backup players, um, helping him. But it's also, it's a relentlessly cynical movie, um, with a very high body count. Okay. Um, and some real brawny stuff. Um, and so I feel like you're not usually one to be bothered by cynicism in a film. Um, maybe I'm a little older now. I don't know. Um, but uh yeah i i understand why people like it because it is not it's not done uh in half measures in any way it's not a lazily made movie mm-hmm. it just feels like it's also not a particularly deep movie yeah um but yeah you want to see guys get blown away uh and you want to see um uh, I think Henry Silva is a psycho killer. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's the best part of the movie. I, I mean, in terms of performance, uh, Henry Silva is awesome in the movie. Uh, but yeah, Sharky's machine probably worth checking out if you're a fan, but, uh, no, N- not my favorite. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then I've got a big, a big jump. Okay. Well, uh, I saw stick, Okay. Um, which he acted in and also directed. Okay. Um, it's based on an Elmore Leonard novel, uh, which I read first, and then I saw that it had been um, made into a film. And in watching it, uh, it's I think it's actually very good. Uh, it features um, Charles Durning as, uh, as the villain. And... You know, these words that I'm, that I'm using to describe... Burt Reynolds, uh, just charismatic, natural, effortless. Uh, I mean, everything about that lends itself to an Elmore Leonard hero. Um, a, a common thread, if you watch, if you read his novels, that the hero is just naturally cool. Mm-hmm. And I guess another word is unflappable. Um, and 
Burt Reynolds seemed to really understand this, both as a director and certainly as an actor. And so uh, the character is not necessarily light or breezy, as you will sometimes get in an Elmore Leonard adaptation. Uh, he's He takes things fairly seriously for the most part. It's an ex, He's an ex-con who finds himself in uh, a bad situation. And so... Uh, but it's this idea that there's a, a a natural confidence to the character that prison has uh, prepared him for the difficulties of life. In fact, one could say that like, oh, well, anything out here is as bad as it can get is infinitely preferable to what's in there. So I can handle it. No problem. And so that really comes across in his performance. Um, I said, I saw the film did not actually get very good reviews, but I, I actually like it quite a bit. I think it's directed in a fairly straightforward way. There's not a lot of stylistic flourishes or anything, but I think his performance and the performances, the performance of the ensemble, this goes back to something that, mm-hmm. that you were talking about. Um, almost any Elmore Leonard, novel or movie adapted from a novel is going to have a really solid ensemble. And I remember stick having one. And so, so that speaks to, you know, when the star is also the director, there's got to be tremendous temptation to give yourself the good moments (laughs) and, and downplay other things. But I think he understood the power of that, of the ensemble in that story. And it would seem in most of the stories, even something like Sharky's machine. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's built around him, but the power is in all of the people that he has working with him. Yeah. And so, yeah, stick is, it's, I mean, it's, it's no get shorty. It's no out of sight or Jackie Brown. Like those are kind of the essential three. Um, but it is, it is certainly a, a worthy, uh, entry in like the Elmore Leonard adaptation, uh, movies. And, uh, and I liked it quite a bit and I think he's very good in it. Well, to get off topic, what would you say is the next tier of Elmore Leonard adaptations? It's a good question. Three ten to Yuma. Three ten to Yuma. Or maybe uh, just the. I honestly, I, I like the original. I think it's it's good, but I think that the new one, not just because of the the nature of the action, but I feel mm-hmm. like there's more of a crackling quality to it uh, that I tend to associate with. Elmore Leonard. Um, then there's Mr. Majestic, which I saw, okay. uh, starring Charles Bronson, which is, it's not bad. Not okay. great. Not bad. Did you see, cause I, as I remember Elmore Leonard was, uh, when, when did he die? He died in like the mid two thousands, I think. Was he, so had he already died when justified premiered? I, th- no, I think he died shortly. Thereafter. Yeah. Cause I think I remember him saying, because the, the pilot episode of justified is, pretty from what I understand a pretty faithful adaptation of the short story, which I'm not forgetting the name of, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, I can't remember the name of the short story. And then from there it just became its own show based yeah. on that short story. But, uh, my understanding is that that's a pretty good, that just that pilot is a good short story adaptation. I did also see Paul Schrader's touch, uh, which is adapted from, uh, a more comedic, uh, novel of okay. his, uh, and that one's actually pretty good. Definitely second tier, maybe even a third tier. Uh, and I say that not knowing what other movies would fit into the second tier, uh, but it is fun, uh, and it definitely is kind of an outlier in the filmography of uh, Paul Schrader um, because it's not deadly serious. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I I do. I would say, I'm not sure if I'd say I highly recommend Stick, but I do like it quite a bit, and I think Burt Reynolds, it just 
works in the same way that that George Clooney in Out of Sight it just worked it just felt so right Mm -hmm. and I would say Burr Reynolds in an Elmore Leonard movie just felt just feels right Mm -hmm. given some of the stuff that we've been talking about so okay so you said there was a jump so what's up what's next next for for me is a movie I watched a lot as a kid okay I think I see where we're going it's a voice performance oh okay all right 1989's all dogs go to heaven in which he is the voice of Charlie B. Barkin. Uh, <laughs> I actually did not see this movie. I heard it was, I remember as a kid, it was, uh, it was actually somewhat, um, controversial among some people. They said that like, it wasn't appropriate for, for yeah, kids. I kind of get that. I mean, it's rated G, yeah. but it is like, is it Don a, Bluth? Yes. Okay. Yes. There it is. It's a gangster story mm-hmm. in which multiple, like, I mean, your character animals, not people, but they're being murdered. Like, yeah, the whole thing is Charlie B. Barkin gets killed at the beginning yeah. and then comes back to like, I can't remember now. Uh, and then there's like this homeless girl who both, she's an orphan. Both her parents have died. Like it's, mm. yeah, I, that controversy is probably well earned, but I, like, I, that wasn't what I was thinking about as a kid. Yeah. And maybe that's, we should stop coddling kids. You know What's a great, do we coddle them? Do you think? I don't, but I don't know any. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> yeah. You just yell at kids randomly on the street. Yeah. Uh, I love just, just the sound of it. Just poetically. I love the term Molly coddling. Oh yes. But I hate this happens all the time. You look up some word and you realize it has some like, uh, gross backstory. So the term Molly coddling comes from the mistaken belief that if a mother loves her son too much, it'll turn him gay. <laughs> That's what Molly coddling means. And so yeah. I feel like, I think I used to say it a lot because I think it just sounds fun, but now I realize, uh, that it has a bad terms history. change. You know, you can, yeah, that's <laughs> true. Admittedly, that's true. It's a term that nobody uses. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess if we forget, yeah, because like that's the difference between like the N word or the F word is like, we haven't forgotten. We're not going to forget what those yeah. things are not going to suddenly mean other things. Yeah. But yeah, saying Molly coddling or calling someone a moron, which used to be like, yeah, uh, you know, used to be a term for specifically yeah. like mentally, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Handicapped people yeah. or whatever the word disabled people. Yeah. Uh, but now we just say moron to and everyone. Let me suggest this. Molly coddling means that if a mother loves her son, it could turn him gay you don't mean happy. You mean, oh, uh, right. yeah. you know, uh, yeah. homosexual. Yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, you know what listeners and also if you get nothing else from this episode, it's that it's time for us to take Molly coddling and turn it into something a little less rough. Um, but also here coming out from another point, point of view, I don't care if anyone's gay. You know what? It's great. Molly coddle your sons all you want. Make a whole generation. I think it's the argument of, of, of turning them. Yeah, that's uh, a good that point. might be the, uh, the yeah, issue. That's a good point. I don't believe because if there's one thing that boy erased blasted into our heads. Wait, did you see it? No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, but, uh, just based on it, it, okay. it's apparently getting uh, good reviews, yeah, of course. Uh, but nobody I know. I know. So green book. It's uh, yeah, okay. very good. Um, uh, Anyway, so yeah, it's a Don Bluth movie. Um, Dom DeLuise uh, is also a voice, of course. Uh, and I don't remember that much about it, but yeah, I do know that it is somewhat controversial. Uh, he played himself again in The Player. Mm-hmm. I don't really, do you have anything to say about it? I mean, it just, a aside, lot of people play themselves. Aside from just the fact that 
it's it's not like it's necessarily a big get. It's this idea that like we need a movie star mm-hmm. and we need a movie star who it's weird when I think of up until this conversation, when I thought of Burt Reynolds, he struck me as someone that would probably be kind of a prima donna, but he's so willing to be part of ensembles and then be play himself, which I guess one could say is could be seen as egotistical, right. but it's more just like, Hey, we need a movie star. Uh, you're going to work for a day. And, uh, do you want to do this? And he said, yes. And so I don't know. I, I don't know why, where I got that image in my mind of him being a prima donna. It could be a mixture of knowing that he did not love working with Paul Thomas Anderson and his portrayal on Celebrity Jeopardy. Like, it could be those things. Um, But what's crazy is we feel like now that we're into the 90s, he's playing himself, Mm -hmm. we feel like when we we think about the career of Burt Reynolds, we think we're at the tail end here mm-hmm. but he worked so much in the oh, 90s yes. and 2000s and the 2010s there are so many credits yeah just there are things that i never saw so i but next for me is boogie nights i don't know if you saw bean okay well i've got several things to say here now okay okay because we're not talking about tv um oh, we can and talk I, about tv because i'll talk about archer ah but there's out of this world oh right do you remember out of this world oh, yes i oh yeah. Are you kidding me? He of course was the voice of her father. That's right. Yeah. And Evie, I mean, Evie's father. Yeah. And while again, this could be put down to the fact that he could just walk in and say things. Um, but you know, we've now talked about two vocal performances that he's given all dogs go to heaven and out of this world. And I do think that it, it speaks to, you know, we're talking about kind of the vibe that he gives off, but also he does have, or pardon me, he did have uh, a very strong, like masculine, but again, a very laid back kind of masculinity uh, in his, in his voice and in his deliver, uh, delivery, you know, when he's the, uh, look, I don't want to talk about out of this world as much as I already have, but um, I, I, could, will... I could talk about out of <laughs> yeah. this world. This could be the deliverance slash out of, out of this world <laughs> podcast. And I could talk about nothing but, I loved you, Out of This World as a kid. Do you think we should, you know what? Let's go off in a different direction. This <laughs> has become an Out of This World episode, oh, episode by episode. episode. That would be great. Oh, my gosh. Um, oh, my God. But what if those are available anywhere? <laughs> uh, probably. They would have to be, right? I don't think so. There's there's stuff that's not, we think everything's available now. There's stuff I that's not so. available. Um, um, but that's the thing. is like the voice is not, it's, it's not meant to be this authoritative, like, Oh, it's an, it's an alien being. No, it's just this very casual, approachable yet not stern, but, uh, I don't know. It's, st- I guess just strong, uh, just a strong and comforting, uh, confident voice. And, yeah. uh, so yeah, it's, it, that's who you get. And, and his willingness, you know, for a long time, TV was seen as less than film and, yeah. and maybe it actually was, but it was one of these things that like, if you were a movie star and you started doing TV, that was seen as a huge step down and he was still doing plenty of movies, but then mm-hmm. he was in a show that I have not seen. 
it was 12 episodes. So I guess it didn't do very well called BL striker. And then he was in out of this world. Uh, he was in evening shade from 1990 to 1994, uh, which again, I did watch and it's a hell of an ensemble now that I look at it. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And so I don't actually know if he was egotistical or not, but if you look at, at this, if you look at his filmography, it's not the filmography of a guy who thinks himself particularly, I don't think he would ever describe himself as an artist, you know, right. yeah. that's, not, that's not to imply he wasn't, right. but I don't think he would think of himself that way. Cause he like, was a football player. Yeah. I think, I think he was happy to work and happy to be part of an ensemble. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, so what, so why didn't he then become uh, Gene Hackman. I don't know. Uh, honestly, it could be that Gene Hackman was, I mean, he was in some duds as well, but I think he was a bit more discerning. I think he did think of himself as an artist, I guess, but he He's also one thought of, the, of himself as a working actor. He thought yeah. of it as a, as his job. Yeah. as his trade. And I'm, I think, I'm talking about Gene Hackman in the past tense. He's still yeah. with us, but he's retired. Um, yeah, I mean, he definitely was. And, and Michael Caine as well. I mean, Michael Caine was in a lot of shit for a long time. Um, but I think, I think it could just be that Gene Hackman was never a movie star. He was a, he was a well-known actor. He was an Oscar winner in the 1970s. It was a big deal for him to be in Superman, but he was never, a mm-hmm. full on movie star the way Burt Reynolds was. And so I think it allowed that allowed him to pursue maybe more fulfilling, uh, types of performances where, and so I think it could just be, maybe they both really liked working, but I think maybe because of the trajectory of Burt Reynolds career early on, like he did deliverance and then moved into like these weird, you know, not weird, but these, car movies with Dom DeLuise, you know? <laughs> and, and I think it caused people to take him less seriously as an actor, which is why, um, when we can jump to boogie nights, we'd be jumping over bean and cop and a half. Uh, and also citizen seen. Ruth and striptease. Yeah. Both neither of which I've seen, but like, yeah, he was in some, none of the striptease is considered a, uh, critical fave, but yeah. like citizen Ruth is like an, a, yeah. you know, an indie movie. Um, so yeah, we can, Jump over that, but I, uh, uh, before we get away from out of this world, because I know I, I can't remember if I brought this question up on the podcast before. It might have come up on a commentary. Okay. Did Evie, when she stopped time, continue aging? And did that pile up? And was she like getting wrinkles and gray hair while she was still in college because she had spent so much time stopping time and aging when other people weren't, or did she stop aging somehow while time was stopped? I, I would have to say that everything associated with her, which means her body as well, just continued. Right. So yeah, so she's getting older. I would say it was negligible. I don't think she was stopping time for years or even months or even days. It's like, Oh no, a paint the can paint is going to yeah. and I need to stop it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was always the paint can. That was in the opening of course. titles. Yeah. No one. God, <laughs> we have any, if we have a list, you and I are born in 1982. Yeah. If you were born in 1981, 
you don't know what we're talking right. about. Like, I feel like this, this show, uh, was a, was a real blip and I can't find it anywhere online. Oh, I'm man. looking right now. I would love to rewatch out of this world. Would you? And see if it's good. Right. I, I predict th- you'd watch an episode <laughs> and be like, okay, I think I, I think I get it. All right. Let's jump to boogie nights, yeah. which is a, yeah. Oscar nomination. It's a big prestigious movie. It is my least favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Okay. Uh, uh, it has, I've tried to, you know, I used to be dumb and not think Magnolia was that great. I rewatched Magnolia. It's great. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of thought, Hey, maybe I was wrong about, about Boogie Nights too. And I rewatched Boogie Nights. It just doesn't work for me. Boogie Nights has definitely, I didn't love it for a while. It has grown in my estimation just as far <laughs> as there's an energy to it that I think is undeniable and one that I think is hard to maintain, but he does. Uh, and I think that the ensemble is working really well together. I mean, just a lot of the things that I think he would then do better in Magnolia is certainly there. And, and I think he is able to find, um, I think he is able to find poignant moments, uh, and, and moments of humor and depth, uh, in in these stories and yeah uh, oh real quick I will say that one of the one of life's greatest pleasures is to go and watch uh, Siskel and Ebert and listen to how often they talk about cop and a half um, <laughs> because Ebert gave it a pos- positive review and Siskel was just baffled by it and it was the thing that years later <laughs> he would go back like they were talking about i think they were talking about um like broken arrow or something like that and siskel gave it a thumbs up and then ebert gave it a thumbs down and as he was talking siskel said you know what honestly i think you might have convinced me i think i'm gonna go thumbs down he goes and now that i have <laughs> he's like would you go back and give cop and a half yeah it was because i think cop and a half came out the same year as carnosaur which cisco liked and ebert did not and so when it came to like their least favorite movies of that year uh they just kept using their these movies against each other and it was tremendous fun but yeah so cop and a half was given so much more life than it ever would have if gene cisco had just let it go but anyway sorry we was right by the way about broken arrow not good I don't think it's a good movie. Yeah, I think it's I think it's got some f- fine action stuff, but it's it's yeah. pretty forgettable. My favorite thing about Broken Arrow now is the part in the end of the tour when they go see it at the movie theater <laughs> at the right. Mall of America. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it, and isn't it interesting that the the website you know ain't it cool, uh-huh. which has you know taken on a life of its own like putting aside you know scandal and stuff but that it was this trailblazing website and that it it got its name from this very forgettable (laughs) 90s action movie um but anyway uh yeah so i do think that um so you don't love boogie nights that's fine um what is your take on burt reynolds in the film i think it's hard for me because one of my problems of my, one of my problems with Boogie Nights is that it doesn't feel like there's much emotional or pacing consistency from scene to scene. Mm-hmm. 
So I have trouble with all of the characters getting a real handle on them besides just saying just the movie saying, here's who this is now. Here's like we've jumped. Right. We've jumped, you know, cause the movie takes place over like a decade or so. Is that? Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, I, I just feel like the actors are just trying, are trying to keep their heads above water. A lot mm-hmm. of the time is how it feels to me. So, I think it's a committed performance, but I don't know that it's I'm I'll I'll bet I could find five supporting actor roles from 1997 that I would have nominated first. Hmm. Interesting. But I don't uh, think it's him. I cuz like I was saying I like him and everything. I, I I just don't think the movie's very good. I actually I I think that his performance is I think the character and the performance is definitely the anchor of the film. He's older than any of the other characters with the exception of like his producer characters and stuff, uh, his producing partners. Um, and so he doesn't change really that much. He tries to adapt to the changing industry. Uh, but I think he still adapts within his consistent mentality and, uh, and he's a guy who I, th- I, th- I really think that the character is confident and suave and, and has a, ma- a masculinity, you know, very much like uh, Burt Reynolds himself. But I think he actually finds something underneath. I think he finds a real desperation uh, in that character uh, that I think is played up in the very, very awkward scene where they like just pick up a random guy and have him have sex with, is it with a roller girl? I believe. Yeah. Um, and he's trying to like direct the guy as he's just like fumbling around and all that. And just the, the fact of it happening and then him trying to do the only thing he knows how to do, which is direct porn in a situation, which is clearly not going to go the way he wants it to go, but he still clings to it. Like, yeah, I think the, the fact of what he's doing, which is more about the writing, I think speaks volumes about the character, but that Burt Reynolds is just like, his character seems so oblivious, but you know that he's not oblivious. It's more just we're in this situation and now we just have to keep going. And then it, things turn violent uh, because the, I think the desperation of the Burt Reynolds character, the Jack Horner character, um, really comes to the forefront. Like uh, a, a sore spot is touched by this guy. And so he just goes after mm-hmm. him. And so, yeah. but that can't come out of nowhere. And I think he does establish that this is a guy who actually is deeply insecure with, and, and would prefer to make real movies. And now here he is. He's not even like, he's not even making good porn anymore. Now he's making this shitty, you know, voyeuristic kind of thing. And someone points it out and it's just too much for him to take. Um, and so that he can do that and then also be paternalistic to, Mark Wahlberg's character and that all of that can seem like it comes from the same place, um, which is a desire to make a positive difference in the world only to find himself here. Uh, I, I really, I love the performance. It's, it would not have been, 
I, I'm fine with nominating it. A lot of people said he should have won over Robin Williams. My vote would still be Robert Forster for Jackie Brown. Yeah, there you go. But uh, but I do really love the the performance. Okay. Well, now we're going to get into some movies that I've seen, but I don't remember. I don't really remember him in them. Okay. Mystery Alaska is well, a movie that... Before we get there... Oh, you got... Uh, is it before we get there? Oh, no, no, it is. Sorry, it's after. Never so mind. So, Mystery Alaska is 1999. Yeah. So, no no wonder it got swallowed up by <laughs> yeah. one of the uh, great movie years. Although, I, don't, I think that's one of those IMDb things where it's 1999. I feel like it didn't actually come out until 2000, but I could be wrong about that. Um, yeah, it's hard to know. Uh, but it's... Um, that's, uh, yeah, I, for, I forget that Mystery Alaska has a whole part where it's a legal, that's a courtroom drama before it's a hockey. Yeah. And he's part of the courtroom. He's like the judge in the courtroom part. Yeah. And I forget about that. And, and I don't remember really anything. I, I'm sure it's not necessarily a bad role, but there's just not much for him yeah. to do in it. It's more just, hey, Burt Reynolds is playing the judge. Isn't yeah. that neat? Yeah. And then in Rennie Harlan's Driven, 2001. Oh, well, now we're jumping over the crew which I saw with my really? parents in oh, okay. 2000. I remember this movie um, from the video store, but uh, it's never saw it. It's not particularly good. Uh, it is, once again, uh, an ensemble uh, with Richard Dreyfus, Burt Reynolds, Dan Hedaya, and Seymour Cassell um, as the primary, uh, like these four guys who are aging mobsters. Uh, and so I do think that at this point, whether it be Boogie Nights or something like The Crew, uh, the idea of someone who used to be big mm-hmm. and now is older and is not that anymore. You, I think you start to see a common thread. Uh, maybe it started a little bit before Boogie Nights, but that definitely kicked off a theme going forward, uh, in his films. Um, and most, and I do remember with the crew, it's again, it's, it's a comedy that is fine it's not that memorable um but what's interesting is so there are these four guys the primary two are richard dreyfus and burt reynolds with dreyfus sort of being the brains of the operation and uh burt reynolds character being sort of the the muscle and the charisma uh and that sort of thing and so I remember thinking that there is like really good chemistry amongst the four guys uh but in a fairly forgettable film Directed okay. by a guy named Michael Dinner. Yeah, not Michael Winner. Right. Who made The Sentinel and some other All stuff right. in the 70s. Um, anyway, uh, so then, yeah, dr- Driven, he's the, because he's the owner of the car. Okay. You know how, I, I don't really understand how, race, yeah. like, but there's like the owner and the, guy, the drivers just drive and Sebastian yeah. owns the driver, I guess. If I remember my days of thunder, uh-huh. I mean my personal days, but that's stock car racing. This is Indy. Indi- this is formula one. But anyway, I mean, it's all, it's all exactly the same. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, so he's, he's, I believe the Randy Quaid, uh, okay. from, uh, days of thunder. Um, but yeah, uh, I definitely saw driven in a movie, paid to see it in a movie theater. Okay. And then we jump from there is I don't have anything until Archer, which I think is like the end of it. Uh, do I have something? No, I think for me it jumps to Archer. Uh, I will say that, uh, I heard good things about some of his films like cloud nine. Um, I think I did see him. I think I did see he, he was in a few episodes of my name is Earl. And I remember oh, okay. enjoying that. Uh, 
the film that came out, I think last year, the last movie star, um, I was reading about it. And when I, and what's interesting is when I read, when I saw like ads for it, it said Burt Reynolds, the last movie star. I thought it was a documentary about him. Mm -hmm. Uh, what I didn't know is that it's actually, you know, a fictional, a lightly fictionalized version of him. Um, but all the reviews say that the movie is, not that interesting, but that his performance is really great and it's really, you know, introspective and that sort of thing. And, and so many of the negative reviews say this is a great performance and this movie does not deserve it. Uh, but I'm Hmm. curious anyway, because not unlike, you know, Venus and stuff like that, it's always interesting to see an actor who we know is close to the end, like very close to the end and doing a, and giving a performance that is, that really reflects where they are at that moment in their lives. I was curious to see the last movie star star because it's in some ways, the premise is very similar to the hero with uh, Sam Elliott. Right. But my understanding at least, and my hope is that there's not a romantic relationship between Burt Reynolds and Ariel winter in the last movie star, the way there is between Sam Elliott and Laura prep who's considerably older than Alex. When, uh, what did I say? What, Ariel winter, um, so I'm hoping that it doesn't turn into a romance in the last movie star. That's just too big an age difference. I know that's the uh, Hey, maybe that she's his on. daughter. Who knows? Uh, no, she's not. Oh, um, she's, I see. I, I've clearly read more about the premise than yeah. you have. Uh, Clark Duke plays a guy who's like putting on this cult movie festival or whatever. And Ariel winter plays his sort of like layabout unemployed sister who decides to, to, just to earn some cash to work as his driver for the weekend. Okay. And that's how they become pals. Yeah. But yeah, we skipped over Archer. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's only one episode where he play again, plays himself, but not really. He's playing the Archer version of himself. Right. Um, uh, which Archer is a show that takes place everywhere between the sixties and the nineties. I think. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. uh, it takes place at the, so I think he's supposed to be at the height of his movie stardom. Probably. Mm. Um, but he also looks more like older Burman, the, that, that show intentionally plays with what year it's set all the time. Uh, and, um, but I think he, 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 he gives a fun voice performance in that one episode, which I watched again fairly recently. And I do think that it's, uh, you know, when you think of what Archer is, uh, the character of Archer, like he clearly has modeled to go back to what you're saying about the, you know, Burt Reynolds in the seventies, he clearly has like modeled his whole thing on this image of masculinity yeah. uh, in the seventies. And so of course Burt Reynolds has to be a part of it at some point. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then the idea that he just like shows up and just is so, dis- is so like, either actively or passively dismissive of yeah. Archer and just because shows think, him what's what, you know, because I think the show is usually really using Burt Reynolds to point out, um, the things about Archer's idea of his own masculinity that are yeah. hollow and false. You know, yeah. the fact Burt Reynolds was a football star. Mm-hmm. Archer played lacrosse. <laughs> That's a look down on the cross, but I, I'll bet a football star of Burt Reynolds age probably didn't have a lot of respect yeah. for lacrosse players. <laughs> um, and so it intentionally puts him on a, or it immediately puts him on a, a, a sort of on lower playing field. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, quick question. 
uh, and maybe we can't answer this. At what point did Burt Reynolds acquire the mustache? Because he doesn't have it for deliverance, but he does have it for smoking the bandit. And Which is only five years later, so somewhere in there. Yeah, and as far as I know, like in Stick, he shaves his mus- mustache down considerably, uh, but he still has one. And everything from then on, as far as I can recall, uh, he's got the mustache. So clearly like it's, it, I don't know if he started to see it as a trademark or he just liked the way it looked, but it definitely became a big part of, of who he was. Um, okay. Well, he doesn't have it in hustle in 1975. So we're narrowing it down. All right. Uh, let's see. Lucky lady. We didn't talk about the Stanley Donan. Uh, jeez. Uh, worked with a, surpri- um, a surprising collection of directors and he does have it there okay so that's uh that's so, 1975 so it sounds like 1975 is when he grew it because then let's see he does have it in gator okay in 1976 so does that mean he didn't have it in white lightning because gator is a sequel to white lightning did he grow one no he doesn't have it in white lightning he does in gator so it looks okay. like he grew it for lucky lady Okay. Stanley Donan picture. Yeah. 1975. And, uh, it just stuck. I don't think he has it in the longest yard. Uh, I think he shaved it yeah. for that. Yeah. Though that's, no, that's before. Oh, all right. Well, yeah. there you go. Yeah. It, really, like hustle and lucky lady are both 1975. He doesn't have it in hustle. He doesn't lucky lady. All I right. think we pinpointed it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. You can find us at battleship retention.com. You can, uh, f- you can find all sorts of, uh, episodes and stuff there um and what movie not. reviews and, and whatnot uh you can email us at david at battleship i'm sorry you can email us at david at battleship com or tyler at battleship com. you can email nope you can follow me on twitter at davy pretension you can follow tyler on twitter at tyler pretension um i'm assuming that nothing has changed in the hour and a half since i last asked right. you what's going on we're recording this by the way the same night yeah. as last week's episode because of the thanksgiving holiday uh so that's uh that's that um r.i.p burt reynolds yeah thank you for listening we'll get you next time bye bye This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 